0: Welcome, everyone. Great to see you at Satsang. It's the pre-Shivaratri buzz tonight. Next week, we celebrate Shivaratri, which is extremely special uh, for me because it was on Shivaratri uh, how many years ago? Fifty-two years ago. Is that right? I met Baba, so it's a big deal for me. Aside from being a a great devotee of Shiva, who is universal consciousness, but more of that later. I like to begin my program the way Baba always did, by saying in Hindi, With great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. And it was his essential message to point out that there's divinity within every person, and that the highest yoga was to welcome everyone with great love, beginning with yourself, the most unacceptable person. What do you have to? <laughs> up the schedule. Okay. <laughs> By accident. Okay. <laughs> How do I know what happens next? I never know. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so. Uh, where was I? Welcoming everyone with love, that's it. <laughs> and uh, I want to welcome Rod. That was an outstanding story, to say the least. And also, I have to uh, welcome a couple of old friends of mine from my uh, ancient days at uh, Gore Street Ashram uh, during Baba's time. And uh, Rick, who I met there and had many good conversations with. Way back. Yeah. And, and the man I met uh, in Adelaide used to have an Adelaide ashram. I used to travel to Adelaide uh, back in the 80s. and In fact, I was traveling to Adelaide on Ash Wednesday. You know, you know Ash Wednesday? Are you young, old enough to know it? Uh, when uh, it got hotter and hotter and the, and the air was filled with smoke and we were on our way to Adelaide to do an intensive. We had to finally stop and spend the night and then came in, everything was burned. We did the intensive anyway. Um, but uh, uh, I knew Shiv Shankar at, uh, in Adelaide Ashram then he came to Melbourne and uh, he's a Chinese medicine practitioner now. So welcome, Shiv Shankar. And I have one more welcome. And it's, uh, it's February 11th, which is my father's birthday. So Papa would have been 119 today. <laughs> and on his 100th birthday, uh, we were in Ganeshpuri in 2004. We've got uh, Woodstock next door. <laughs> it's actually called um, uh, Woodpile. Wood pile. It consists of a guitarist, a, uh, a, what do you call it, backing track, and two people in the folding chairs. But they, but, but, with, uh, but, but they generate a lot of noise. And uh, <clears throat> um, so, so I was thinking, I'd like to, I, I was thinking it would be great if I had a photograph of Pop with Baba. Of course, they met many times and so on, but I don't have one. And then, who is it reminded me of? It was Gargi said, Gargi said, but there's this. Okay, so I'm going to tell you what this is. Um, when I was uh, running the Gore Street Ashram in the early 80s, uh, we used to get uh, news reports from Baba's tour. They would send monthly news reports, what Baba was doing, who he met, parts, uh, snatches from his talks so on. Really wonderful. We always look forward to him. So uh, innocently I uh, went to the program. I hadn't, I didn't review the, the thing. I just always enjoyed him. And they start showing this uh, news report of Baba and in, in this report he, Baba flies into South Fallsburg for his birthday and then he's he's, uh, this is a little spoiler alert here, he's walking up the aisle. Everyone's in incredibly excited and they're lining both sides of the aisle and chanting and there's like this Baba Buzz and he's walking up and suddenly veers to the left and he says hello to two people and then my parents Aww. and I just, it blew my mind. And so years later, I, I asked Guru I? if I could have that tape, so she sent me this one minute <laughs> and I applaud her for that. <laughs> Could have been the whole tape, but <laughs> she. I'm. She's very great. I'm very grateful for that. So, watch. Uh, watch this minute of. Obviously, meets the earth, the ground. It. That chakra right? you know, awesome. Here we go, right now. Happy birthday, Pop. <laughs> he spent the last couple of years, they both did, last couple of years of their life here in the ashram, so those of you who were here oh, 25 years ago uh, knew him. So tonight, um, uh, <clears throat> oh, I decided to do a program in honor of Shivaratri. Uh, it's a program called Notes from the Tea Shop. The tea shop was next door to the ashram, and I used to go there. You couldn't think in the ashram. There's too much shakti and too much going on, and you couldn't think straight. So I had to go after lunch. We had a little break before afternoon work in the ashram, and I would go next door to the tea shop and have some chai, and chai helps you think. And then I would sit and I would contemplate Shaivism, and yogic philosophy and so on. And then it was off to work again, and, and back into the, the madness. So um, I call these notes from the tea shop. These are little jottings that I wrote different meditations over the years. And so turned them into a program soon, soon to arrive at your local booksellers. So we're going to have a couple of volumes of these things. But uh, here's the, uh, the bona fide shot of the tea shop. Yes, it's been photoshopped. <laughs> but here we are having tea ready to go out to work. Uh, that's Gilly Gilly on the left looking at the camera. Joe Don Looney is a very muscled former football pro in the middle. And me superimposed on the painting the picture. <laughs> anyway. <clears throat> so here's, some, yo- here's uh, some notes from the tea shop. Um, on Kashmir Shaivism. Okay, first one. Should I read the title of it or not? Yeah, this is called The Real Meaning of a Philosopher. Real philosophy is a doing. What kind of a doing? Work on oneself. Sadhana, sadhana is spiritual practice. Thus, the real philosopher is one who does sadhana. Comment. Real philosophy is not a mental exercise. It's visceral. Through sadhana, we give body to our thought. And uh, I guess this is the distinction between uh, academics and yoga. Uh, The the ancient philosophers, Plato, certainly Pythagoras, certainly the Stoics, had notion of, of... Uh, which means that your thinking shouldn't just be a system of thought, but it should be transformative. It should transform the philosopher. It should transform the being. Uh, But then over the years, philosophy became academic. So it just became people spinning out different theories. So philosophy, when I got to India, I saw that all the Indian philosophy, from Vedanta to Samkhya, Kashmir Shaivism and so on uh, had as their goal not just intellectual system but transformation of the person, a yoga goal in other words. So that's that. Next, Uh, this is called Pratyabhigna School and Spanda School. Within Kashmir Shaivism, they talk about two schools of Kashmir Shaivism. By the way, Kashmir Shaivism, I should say something about that. Kashmir Shaivism is the philosophy that Baba um, loved and taught us. Uh, and it's, you could say that it's, it's an extension of Vedanta's. Some people think of it as kind of a, an opposition uh, to Vedanta, but Vedanta philosophy says that everything is consciousness and this world is an illusion. This world is not real, that only consciousness is real. And that gives rise to an issue about the world being real or not. So, so the Shaivite philosophers came forward and said, let's not have that argument. The point is that everything is consciousness. And let's just say the world is real, but it's part of consciousness. So it made a much better thing, because that argument disappeared, which wasn't the essential argument anyway. So Shaivism says that this whole world is consciousness. It comes from consciousness. It exists in consciousness. And if we purify our own awareness, our own consciousness, we get in touch with that universal cosmic consciousness. But within Shaivism, there are two schools, pratyabhigna <coughs> School and Spanda School. The Pratyabhigna school represents thought. The Spanda school represents feeling. You need both. Include, by including the yoga of feeling, you get a complete and perfect Advaita, a complete non-dual yoga. Because Vedanta doesn't include the feeling aspect. So the Pratyabhigna school says, all you have to do is recognize that you are the self. And that's a tremendous wisdom, to self-recognition. However, you can think you're recognizing you're the self, and it can be just intellectual. The Spanda school says you have to experience the self as shakti, as energy, as love, as joy. And if you can do that with the right understanding, then you have the whole thing. You have both the intellectual and the emotional, the clear space of good feeling. So, a combination of thought and feeling. Another one, number 299, it's called consciousness. It just says simply, there is a consciousness larger than the mind, but encompassing the mind. What is the mind made of? Consciousness. Think of Uh, uh, a a puddle and the ocean, or think of this dam and the ocean, they're made of the same stuff, but because it's so vast, there's something different about it. So we are a puddle of consciousness, a small little puddle in the ocean of consciousness, made of the same stuff, but confined to this little puddle. Uh, So, I think it's good to think of that. And the mind is consciousness and obeys all the laws of consciousness, but it's consciousness in a contracted form. Now, one of my favorite ones, number 309, (laughs) the explanatory gap. This is a wonderful concept of uh, modern uh, science. Point. Modern science and philosophy acknowledge the explanatory gap the difficulty of explaining the connection between conscious entities and unconscious matter. <clears throat> Basically, the explanatory gap is how does consciousness evolve from unconsciousness? How does that happen? And the, the, uh, the, because uh, their understanding is materialist, they don't say, you know, God created or it came from consciousness. They say it's all matter and there was just stuff, matter, material stuff, and then it was boiling and carrying on, and one day consciousness existed. A rock suddenly said, ah, I think therefore I am, or something. And so that's the explanatory gap. It can't really be explained, because they're trying to get rid of a miraculous point of view, which is that there is a God. That's a miracle, right? There is a God... But then they're left with another miracle, that consciousness, that which is conscious came from that which is unconscious. So they're they're actually calling on a different miracle, but they call it the explanatory gap, I think is very cute. Now you can make a practical solution between these two things, matter and consciousness, and that is that there are two worlds, matter, the outer world, and consciousness to the inner world. Um, And in fact, uh, the philosophy of Samkhya says exactly that, that there's matter out there and there's consciousness in here, there are two things. But most philosophies hate duality and they want it to become one. So to resolve the two of those into one, there are only two, well, there are two ways to do it. You resolve matter into consciousness or consciousness into matter. Is this all right? So, to resolve everything into matter is the Western scientific materialism. Everything is matter. Everything is matter, and consciousness just somehow comes from matter, explanatory gap. And then idealism, uh, or uh, or Vedanta says, everything is consciousness, and even matter comes from consciousness. Those are two ways to uh, uh, dissolve it. <clears throat> so let me ask you how did consciousness come out of matter? You have to agree that that's a miracle, isn't it? That that would happen. So, <clears throat> but giving it an explanatory gap rather than a miracle is a better term for us scientists, isn't it? <clears throat> okay, next one. Th- these are all about Shaivism. Tell me if it gets too uh, philosophical. What? That's all right. All right, so oh, thank you. If you need some I need some reassurance. <laughs> this is called the inner world and the outer world. See? The inner world is pure awareness. The outer world is matter. So we live in these two worlds. I always begin my learn to meditate by saying we live in two worlds. <clears throat> so, according to Shaivism, Consciousness shines, and that's called prakasha. Consciousness just shines. It just is like the sun, shining. Um, But then, consciousness has another ability, which is called vimarsha, prakasha and vimarsha, and that is consciousness can be self-reflective. It can think about itself, or as I like to say, it has interiority. It can say, hey, what am I doing here? I'm shining, (laughs) cool, shining, yeah. Is that cool? I think so. What are they doing over in the next universe? Is it all right to be shining? Anyway. uh, And then at some point consciousness is shining and then looking at himself shining, it's all one. And then at some point consciousness decides to manifest and create the world. Um, why did consciousness do this? We don't know, but we have evidence that it must have happened. Because <laughs> here it is. We've got lots of theories about it. He made a mistake. He did it out of exuberant love. Uh, all kinds of theories. But but uh, the real answer is, who knows? Uh, another thing is consciousness is hugely creative. So whatever uh, he's consciousness thought of, God, we could say, uh, he does eventually. Can't hold it back. <clears throat> so he created the two worlds, the inner world and the outer world. The inner world is Shiva, shining. The outer world is Shakti. So the, and Shakti, Shaivism says, is the path back to Shiva through Shakti through the external, you attain the internal, which is a very interesting idea. They say shakti uh, guards the portal to Shiva, so you have to propitiate shakti, you have to worship shakti, and then you can attain Shiva. And, and then uh, subject and object in the sentence, you have the subject and the object, that's a, that's a metaphor of the two worlds. I am is the subject, and that represents the inner world, and that is the object that represents the outer world. So it's, it's encoded even in our grammar, this, this understanding. I am that. And of course, the guru says, you are that. And you say, I am that. I am that. Hey, I'm that. I am that. It means there's no gap between the outer world and the inner world. They're one. Comment. Consciousness has the extraordinary capacity of interiority. It can look within itself. Since it also naturally looks outward, it creates two worlds. Looks outward, creates the outer world and looks inward. Nothing else has interiority. Like consciousness, if some something thinks about itself, it must be conscious, unless it's a computer. I've been hearing that computers are doing all kinds of wonderful things lately. Some students of a teacher of Kashmir Shaivism, fed uh, AI, and asked to write talks about Shaivism, and came out with talks about Shaivism. And that's what I'm giving tonight. (laughs) It's too bad. I'm so old. I could have a a new career for many years of just reciting what AI tells me. (laughs) Strange world. Okay, let's see. Uh, Okay, let's... Of course, I was talking about... I am that, let's do that. Shaivism says there's a divine realm of pure awareness and in that realm it says, consciousness says, I am this, this I am, and this includes both the inner world and the outer world, the relationship between subject and object, that in, at the divine level of event, all is one within myself. This whole world is one within myself. And in the realm of Maya, or the realm of illusion, or the material realm, uh, the sentence is, I am not this, I am not that. A not has come in, N-O-T, a, a denial, a split, a separation, so that we know that we are not that. That outside world is not that. It's separate from the inner world. But the, the sages say that they're actually one. But we're, we're seeing it through a lens, of de- Uh, reducing lens and the guru says you are that, that am I, I am that, the guru repairs that by giving us the understanding that we are connected and one with our world, that the world is our conscious projection, that if we're not there the world doesn't there, when you go to sleep at night the world is uncreated, when you wake up the world is there again, That's just the way it is for Shiva. Uh, The Spandakarika says Shiva opens his eyes and there's the world. And he closes his eyes, the world disappears. Well, if you think about it, we do the same thing. Okay. You don't believe me. You can't argue about these things. Uh, Now we'll talk about the the hard part, which is in Shaivism. It's called the malas, the malas. Why do we move from being Shiva to being us? You know, with all our problems. With our neurosis and our self-hatred and our frustration and our bad relationships. And we have uh, divorce lawyers and all kinds of things. By the way, that was really good. Where are you? Yeah, <clears throat> um, it's it's kali yuga. It's a kali yuga profession. <laughs> so in the Yuga, you'd just be a marriage. You'd be mar a marrying, celebrant. marriage celebrant. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. When you'll know that you'll know when uh, when the avatar comes, you'll be a marriage celebrant. So anyway, they they talk about the the malas, the malas are contraction in Shaivism, and they say there are three main contractions of consciousness. Uh, One of them is in the navel, it's called karma mala, Uh, and it actually creates a physical body, we get a physical body out of it, And, and it's a mark of the vital personality type. And then there's a contraction in the heart, uh, which is called anavamala, which is the essential contraction. And we get the emotional body of it, and this is the peculiar sensibility. It's emotional limitation. Instead of pure love and pure bliss, we have, you know... Suffering. What? Suffering, <laughs> suffering, <laughs> suffering, yeah. <laughs> thank you <laughs> and then there's the, the then there's the uh, maya mala contraction in the head w- in which we get a mind and this is the solid personality type <clears throat> the mental body and you can try to release your contraction in meditation and if you look inside you look inside you can actually feel these contractions. If you look in terms at the navel area, the heart area, and the third eye, you might find the tension or contraction in one or more of those areas, and you can work to let them go, let it go, and expand it. This is really a shiva process. <clears throat> Comment: The ancient yogis knew of three knots or grantes in three levels of the being. I learned this in my Hatha yoga days, these grantis, these knots. Uh, these are the malas, as described in Kashmir Shaivism. The malas become the physical body, the emotional body, and the mental body, the contractions of universal consciousness. So in fact, they're the cause of our limitation, our frustration, our suffering, and so on. Uh, and, it's, and our sadhana becomes how to deal with that? And one kind of sadness say, "I just don't want to be in a body anymore, but that's not the real solution. The solution is to, despite these limitations, despite having a body, an uh, emotional heart and a thinking mind, how do we find a way to live at peace in that context? And that's the real Shaivism is to discover that and how to do that. I've got a couple more. I'll do, uh, okay, I'll do three more, okay? They're the little meditations, most them. This one's called a mystic. A mystic, or also called a shavite, finds signs of God everywhere. This is what a mystic is. It finds God, signs of God in nature, in surprising synchronicities, uh, in interactions, in upward shifts, when the feeling goes through. in inspiration, suddenly from God knows where we get an insight. <clears throat> but a real mystic also sees God's hand in the contraction and in suffering and in difficulty. He sees these as tests disciplines and teachings and showing us how to get rid of these contractions. So mystic basically sees that the whole world is a play of the divine. Baba would say the play of consciousness, a theophany. It's all a hide and seek game with God. When we get caught in our own suffering, our self-pity, our self-hatred, it means we're not perceiving the divinity that's hiding there. And we're just, we're caught in the illusion of it. But then if we learn to look at things properly, uh, then we see something more, we see something greater. And it's not an easy task. It may sound easy when we talk about it, but it is not easy. It takes a full commitment to inner growth and to inner understanding and to overcoming negative tendencies and, con- and limiting, limiting factors and tendencies. Uh, so it's a it's a it's a it's a wonderful enterprise. I can't think of any that even remotely uh, compares to it. It's the greatest of all human enterprises: to know your own self, to experience your own divinity. This is the great thing. <clears throat> and here's one called a real tantra, a real tantra. This is a dharana or a meditation. Um, first, find moments of the clear space of good feeling that occur naturally and extend them. If you know the the Shaivite scriptures in the the Bharava and the Spandakarkas, they have these weird sutras that says you can find divine moments when you're running from your life, when you sneeze, when you, uh, uh, what other things? See a friend in an airport. When you meet a friend in an airport. (laughs) Even though, you see, they're so prescient. They talked about airports a thousand years ago. They're so clever, those guys. When you meet meet a friend after a long time, there's certain moments where there's, there's, I love running from life, but I love when you yawn. And so I started to examine my yawns and my coughs and sneezes, my sneezing. And it's true that when I sneeze, I see a white light have you examined yourself during a sneeze? You'll see there's a divine, you have to keep sneezing, keep, <laughs> extend the sneeze. <clears throat> but, but uh, so, so a real touch is to find these little showing forth, little flashing out. <clears throat> there was a, a poem by Gerard Manley Hopkins that I used to love in my, in my uh, literary days uh, where he says that the uh, the world is charged with the grandeur of God. You know that one? Yes. The world is, <laughs> it's, it's, flare, it's something out like the shining, like shook foil, like you shake some silver foil and then it sparkles, so God shines out if you can see it. You know the whole poem? Is that glory to God for beautiful things? Huh? I don't know, we'll talk to it later. We'll talk about it later. Talk about it later. We'll talk about it. Hey, we'll talk about it, all right? Okay. <laughs> what? Okay, neither could I, that's all. <laughs> anyway, so there are moments, the sheeviness of ordinary life. Think about it, you know. Um, When did you have, what moments in your life? I I think about, uh, uh, you know, when I was at university coming home Friday, when uh, my week was done, and I had the weekend to look forward to, and Friday, late afternoon, I'd be in my room, I'd feel just great, peaceful. Sitting in a cafe. Arriving home, uh, all kinds of uh, events in your life where there are uh, experience of divinity. Sitting at Baba's feet. So, well, sitting at Baba's feet was, was the actual experience of divinity. Yeah, that's right. <clears throat> okay, now we'll, do, we'll end with uh, um, a guided meditation. And this is very much in Baba's mode, because he said, uh, he named his, his book Play of Consciousness. And by that he meant that the whole world is universal play of consciousness, a universal play of divinity. So go inside, and after this we'll, um, we'll meditate for 10 minutes, but you can, you can use this little practice if you like uh, or just meditate the way you normally do. <clears throat> but go inside and experience what it's like in your in your inner world. If you look around your inner world, when I took uh, uh, the Vipassana course with Goenka, he would say, Uh, feel every sensation moving throughout the body from head to toe, from toe to head, like that. So, and he would say it's all anicca, emptiness. But we're going to say it's different. It's all chitti, divinity. So feel the sensation in the body. You may feel a tension in your navel area. You may feel a discomfort in your left leg. You may feel a joyous feeling in your right side. You may feel an intoxication in your left ear. Whatever sensations, embrace them as a play of God, as an expression of God. Whether it's good or bad, whether you feel blocked or open It's all Shiva. It's all Shiva. And we'll meditate for 10 minutes. You don't have to use that one, but you could start with it. And once again, with great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. Satgunat Naraj Kijay. We'll meditate for 10 minutes.